Well, we've been on a journey the last couple of weeks, and that journey has taken us into the Garden of Eden. And in that garden, we've been looking at the two primary persons that the story revolves around. So we've been in Genesis chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We've been kind of bouncing around a little bit as we've been looking at this uh, gift that God has given to Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, and how God gave them abundance and said, you can have everything in the garden. Everything possible is all of yours. And all these trees are yours, but there's just one thing that I really don't, that I don't want you to eat from. It's called a tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, because that will hurt you. Don't eat from that. And, and we learn from the story that Adam and Eve saw all the abundance that God had given to them and then yearned for the one thing that God said, that is not for you, don't do it. And they did. You see, there's, uh, there's this margin, okay? There's this margin between where God is and God's goodness, and then there's margin in between where we are as humanity. And we cannot be God, even though we've been learning, we've been created in God's image. We've learned that God created us and said we are good, but we know that we are not deity, we are not gods. But God created this space I talked to you a little bit about a couple weeks ago. It's what I call a little bit of dualism. And dualism is that place in between God's perfection and our imperfections. And it's in that space that God says, I'm going to give you the ability to choose. I've given you and promised you all of this, but I'm gonna give you the ability to choose. Then you can choose to love me. You can choose to follow me. You can choose to accept me. You can choose all of those things. It's all up to you. And we learned that, that, that probably the greatest perplexing question is, if, if God gave us free will and knew that, that we might make the wrong choice, why would he do that? And we've talked about how, how it's so important that we choose God and that God doesn't force himself upon us. And we talked about how if we looked in healthy families with moms and dads and, 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 and persons of, of, in families and, and, and we take a look at you know, what that means to be in a, in a family filled with love, that parents want their kids to choose to love them. And that relationship is so much different when that happens. We've been talking about a third person who's, who's been involved in this story. It's, it's a serpent. And, and I hope that a couple of weeks ago when we, when we introduced this, I hope that um, you weren't at a point in, in your life where you thought, well, there's no devil. There's no evil. I mean, it's all made up stuff. And you know, throughout history, folks have thought that um, Catholicism, that the popes had created, that there was a devil as a way that the, that the church could oppress the people. And it was the way that the church could use a tool to kind of keep people in line, that if there's a good and there's a bad. But, but we've been learning that the scriptures is the truth. And the truth is that there is God who is good and there is evil, and we're gonna call him the devil. And we know that through the scriptures, it mentions the encounters with evil. And we know that there's this constant pressing in of the evil one to try to usurp our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. And we understand that in this story that, that the evil person, the devil, came into this story as a serpent and immediately started whitewashing the words and started moving Adam and Eve in the wrong directions, manipulating them, telling them lies and deception, trying to get them to bite to the greatest lures that are out there. And yet, we find out that he does that to us today. Evil's ultimate goal is to separate us from God. I don't know how else to say it. 
It's, it's to separate us from God. It's to distract us. It's to discourage us. It's to distort the truth. It's to, to make sure that you and I, when we think that we're getting it, when we think that we see God, when we, when we come close and we're enjoying this relationship with God, then evil is constantly trying to thwart that. He's constantly trying to interject things to where you and I doubt that that could happen. And when the devil does that, it divides the relationships between us and God, it divides the relationships that we have with our loved ones, and it divides the relationships that we enjoy so freely in God's church. You see, every time, every time you listen to the evil one, every time that you doubt the love and the, and the role of God, every time you buy into a lie, every time that you get discouraged, any time that our guard gets down, any time that we get distracted, we move further away from God. And then what we've been learning in this story has been that God doesn't want us running away, but God wants us to come too. In fact, anxious is a word. Anxious is a word that if we read the story of Adam and Eve, we'll look at a little bit of their anxiety, but I think anxiety and anxious moments play into us as well. Did you know that the word anxious actually um, interprets or, or basically means divided? So if you are anxious, it means that you have division. You're divided about something. You're not feeling good about it. You're, you're restless. You're, you're, you're not happy. And therefore, it's creating some division. So we're going to learn today how anxiety plays into the story of Adam and Eve and how anxiety plays into our story and how anxiety, if we're not careful, can derail the direction that God wants us to go. Anybody in the room ever been anxious about anything? How about at home? Have you been anxious about anything? I mean, have you thought about that, what it means to be anxious or to have um, anxiety level or stress levels that go? Um, how do you process your anxiety? You know, some people bite their fingernails. You ever looked at somebody and seen their, and you've seen their fingernails all bitten off? You know, I see people looking around the room going, that's me, that's you. No, hey, hey, that's what that is? And, and so some people do that. They bite their nails. Other people, they, they tap their foot. You know a foot tapper? Yeah. You know, Patty and I, we were gone a couple of days uh, up to Rainbow River in Dunellen just to kind of just kick back in a cabin and, and enjoy just peace and quiet and no ringing phones and barking dogs and people knocking on our doors and all those things that happen, you know, when you're at home. And, and, and I was just kind of tapping my foot. And she's like, why are you doing that? So doing what? Why are you tapping your foot? You know, even though you're in the quiet and trying to break down, you get, you get anxious about some things. I was anxious because it was too quiet. And anxiety can come in, and anxiety can have its way with us. So whenever you feel anxious, stress comes in. Any of you ever been stressed? I heard somebody go, oh, man, yeah. Is it that bad, really? So we get stressed out as well. And stress does some complex things to the body, doesn't it? You know, if we're not careful, stress can elevate our heart rate. Stress can cause high blood pressure. We need to go then see our doctors and get on medications to lower our blood pressure. Um, you know, if we're not careful, stress can release a, a, a hormone in our body called cortisol. And cortisol is, is what helps us pack the pounds on, so to speak, in the midsections. And if we're not careful and if we're not managing our stress appropriately, we begin to see the effects of, of that um, hormone coming into our body. Others develop physical or, or mental system, symptoms, and you need to see a doctor, get medications to kind of to help you cope with some anxiety and situational things that are happening. I've, I've shared with you all that there was a season in my life, you know, back in the early 2000s where I was on in, in a low-level depression, and I remember what that's like. 
And so we, we, we combat these things and we deal with this. But the core in feeling divided is, what does it do to us? It, it makes us anxious and it makes us feel alone and it puts us in a place where we're just kind of antsy about things that are about us and we're unsure. And that's where we find Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in this story, we find them to be anxious. So let me take you to the part in, in chapter three, uh, verses seven through 13, where, where Adam and Eve are at a place where, where all of a sudden they have now eaten the fruit and God is confronting Adam and having a conversation about it. Immediately the two of them, Adam and Eve, did see what's really going on. Remember one of the things that, that Satan said as the serpent was, if you eat the fruit, God doesn't want you to eat that because then you'll see what's really going on. You know, I had a friend tell me, see, I knew we all came from aliens and would see that, right? No, that's not what that means. But he says, you'll see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, pause there for a second. This is what we call the anthropomorphic portion of the writer of Genesis. This is one of the Genesis writers four writers to the Genesis story. This is one of them. And he's using the anthropomorphic piece, God strolling and walking through the garden, God breathing you know, up the, the nostrils of dust and making Adam, God taking a rib from, from Adam's um, side to, to make Eve. So God's kind of strolling around in the evening breeze and Adam and Eve hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God and God called to the man. God calls out to Adam, where are you? He said, I, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree that I told you not to eat from? And the man said, I love this. This is the first time that we see problem in the home, okay? The man, the man said, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me the fruit from the tree and yes, I ate it. That's the first Mark in scripture where the blame game starts. You did it, God, not me. Had another friend say, it's kind of that point where Adam took it like a man, he blamed his wife, okay? All right. So God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? So now all of a sudden we see this, this friction that's happening, this division, this division between the harmony of the relationships that God created with Adam and Eve and God and, and God had created with, with creation. But Adam and Eve, now they feel guilty. They feel, they feel ashamed. They, they actually hide from God. Some of us will read this and we'll go like, why would they do that? I mean, why would you hide from God? You can't hide from God. Why, why would they hide from God? God? God loved them. Why'd they hide? But isn't that what we do? Something goes wrong in our life or we do something that we're not supposed to do or we get caught in doing something that we know isn't right. Don't we want to just kind of run and hide? Don't we just want to just kind of escape and hide from God in the midst of, of what's going on and, and not stand before God with any kind of truth? You see, when you make an unwise choice, you don't run to God, you run from God. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve found themselves doing in this story. They felt separated, they were disconnected. And this, and this leads into feelings of anxiety and fear and stress. The kinds of stuff that just doesn't create harmony for us at all, does it? So here's the question of the day. Why does evil want to divide us? 
So why does evil want to divide us? I mean, that's what evil does, right? But evil wants to divide us so that it can defeat us. Okay, say defeat. Evil wants to divide us so that it can actually defeat us. So remember I told you a couple weeks ago that, that the devil can't overcome you on his own. What does he do? He makes you do it to yourself. You know, Flip Wilson used to say, for those of you that remember Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. But the devil can't do it. You have to do it yourself. He only tempts, coerces. So evil divides us in order to defeat us. And that's what evil does. It's so good at that. It's so good at, at dividing us. It's so good at, at trying to help us to become defeated. I mean, look in the world today. Does it take a rocket scientist to figure out that the world's divided today? I mean, just look what's going on. There's, there's division everywhere. At one point in time, we thought that, hey, we're, we're actually living in a world that's got some peace and harmony. And then all of a sudden, the dynamics over time shift. And the world is after itself. People are attacking people. People are wronging others. People don't like others. And they're drawing lines in the sand. And we're trying to deal with that. And we're trying to say, how in the world do we live in a divided world? And evil's just laughing. He divides us politically. He divides us relationally. He divides us in our families. He divides us in our workplaces. And he divides us in our churches. And evil laughs as all this is going on. Here's the second thing that evil does. Evil, evil also, so in, in addition to you know, wanting to, to defeat us, evil also causes people to look at, at what makes them different rather than what makes them the same. Listen, I, I, I firmly believe we have more in common than what people want to acknowledge. As human beings, we have more in common then we have that which divides us. But because we allow the situations of, of life and we allow things that happen around us, we, we allow um, ideologies and things to play in our minds, that's what divides us. Here's how I know that. Just, just think about your soul for a second. As Christians, we believe we have a soul, right? And the soul is the heart of God in us. And we believe that, that when this body just ceases to exist, when our, when our heart stops and we die, we believe that our soul is united with the creator of our soul. And here's the thing, that, that how I know that the world is divisive and not God. When God put the soul in you, God didn't say, your soul will start racism. God did not say, your soul will start sexism. Your soul will belittle people. God didn't say that your soul will pick a political party. Your soul doesn't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. Your soul doesn't care whether you're gay or straight. Your soul doesn't care whether you're a male or you're female. We care about it, but your soul doesn't. Why? Because God created your soul and said it is what? Good. And that's the difference. And that's the discovery that we need to make today, that as we talk about division, especially what happens in, in the Garden of Good and Evil, that when God created us with that soul, the soul is not what falls prey or causes the division. It's the parameters 
and the examples that we have in our life. Paul says that, that we have to remember that, that we're in a spiritual battle. Paul says that it's a spiritual battle that we need to focus on, that we need to remind ourselves that it is a spiritual battle that we're in and that we must recognize that evil tries to get an upper hand. Here's what Paul says. Paul says in, in Ephesians, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says that evil exists everywhere. Not just surface level where we can see, it exists everywhere. And therefore, we are constantly in a battle. Paul says that the spiritual battle and the enemy uses all of his crafty ploys to trick us so that we will be against God. And that's what he did to Adam and Eve. He tricked them so that they knew that they would be willing to lose the battle and live into division once they ate the fruit. You see, as we think about this, it, it comes to us. So if we think about our marriages, we think about our, our families, we think about our churches, we think about ourselves even personally. When we lose the battle, then that's when division comes. And we need to focus on winning and not losing, but winning. Here's where you and I need to lean into rather than retreat from what I just said. Too often we realize that we're in a battle and that's all we can see. And we're in a battle and, and it's not going the way that we want, so all we can see is defeat. We feel defeat. That's all we can focus on is I'm not going to win. I'm going to be defeated. We need to look beyond the battle and look at the bigger picture. We have some tough decisions to make as a church. And, and we have sides that are being drawn on, on whether we keep a building or whether we let a building go. And we have some that, that, that hold on to a certain way of thinking. We have, we have another group who says, but what's the bigger picture? How can we achieve that? It's the same thing. And yet division finds itself within. We all have a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice. The moment they were placed in that garden, they were told not to eat the fruit, but they ate it because they did not believe nor did they trust in God. They believed God was withholding his best from them. They believed that they would become most like God without him, that we can become like God. We don't need God anymore. And so they took that step. They made that choice. And division severed the relationship. You see, a common assumption is that it's okay. It's okay that, that when we're making decisions, the common assumption is it's okay to make decisions as long as it's not immoral, as long as it doesn't break any laws, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But you know, what happens is, is when we start thinking about making those decisions under that pretense, what do we do? We get close to the, to the guardrail. We, instead of moving in the middle of the lane with proper balance between so we can negotiate when things are going awry, we get too close to one extreme or the other, and we leave no room at all. We're imbalanced. We draw lines. It's a dangerous place to live, and that's what Adam and Eve did. Instead of, instead of staying in the middle lane, instead of rejoicing and cherishing the gift that God had given them. They pushed the boundaries because they were coerced to do that and they bought into that. And the serpent moved them in that way. The apostle Paul would say, what's the wise thing to do? Paul would say, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Not what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. What's the wise thing to do? 
What was Adam and Eve's greatest regret? Think about that for a second. Some would say it was the moment that they ate the fruit. Let me personalize it. What's your biggest regret? I know what my biggest regret is, and probably yours is the same thing. It's not just one decision that we made, but it's multiple decisions. It's multiple decisions that we make that are not wise decisions that lead to an ultimate decision that derails everything that there is around us. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Christians living in Ephesus. He says, be very careful how you live, not as an unwise, but as a wise person, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul says every day is a day, is an opportunity to live your life the right way, the wise way. And be weary and know that evil lurks around you so that when you're making your decisions, you make them right. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What's God's will? It's whatever brings glory to God. Clean and simple. As you start thinking about, should I do this? Should I do this? What's the wise thing? Does it bring glory to God? If you can answer yes, it brings glory to God and it truly brings glory to God and it's all about God, then it's a wise decision. If it's not gonna bring glory to God but bring glory to you, bring comfort to you, bring peace to you, uh, tap into an appetite for you, then it's probably not a wise decision. Adam and Eve struggled with this. But Paul knew of the point of regret is always preceded by a series of, of unwise decisions and that's why he says we have to be careful how we live. We have to be careful the choices that we make. We have to posture ourselves so that we make the wise decisions because wise decisions thwart division. Wise decisions do not allow conflict. Wise decisions bring people together versus unwise decisions. Adam and Eve made a decision to divide. We can make that decision. We can do that. Let's make a decision to to divide in our personal life, in our church life, in our business life. Or should we make a decision that brings glory to God? Paul throws that out for us this morning. There were two trees in the garden for a reason. Both of them gifts from God. Both of them. Can't forget, they were both gifts from God. God said, have everything you want. The one thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to eat from this one tree because this tree will harm you. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. You see, we were created not to be divided. Your life and my life no longer needs to be surrounded by division. God created you, he created me, and he said, we are good. And God says, choose, but choose wisely. John sums it up great in 3.16. John says, choose love, because God chose love. And love always wins.